Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the after-hours action. NVIDIA ripping while CBS and Applied Materials sink. We'll bring you the very latest from those conference calls as they get underway. Plus, the big, long, legendary investor Danny Moses of big, short fame calling cannabis the investment opportunity of a lifetime. He will be here to tell us why. And later, chasing the highs, one top technician doubling down on two names that are soaring this year. We will tell you what they are. But first, we start with Amazon, and not because of the Knicks planned New York City headquarters, but because of this chart. Check it out. The stock is down more than 5% this month, stuck in no man's land since the first week of the year. And with retail sales coming in at the worst print in nearly a decade, is this a broader tell that the consumer is in worse shape than we all think? Dan, what do you say? Well, it clearly could be. I mean, listen, Amazon now has guided down uh, revenues two consecutive quarters in a row. This is a company that has been growing revenues year over year at 30% a clip. In 2019, they're expected to grow at 18%. So a massive deceleration here. So this stock is stuck in the middle of this one-year range that it's been in. And really interestingly, it's right where it was when the market really started to head south uh, in mid-December. So when I think about this retail sales number that we saw this morning, all day long, all we heard were pundits explaining away. We had Larry Kudlow, not an economist, call the glitch in the data and stuff like that. It's just ridiculous to not take that at face value. The Atlanta Fed took it at face value. They are advising or they are revising Q4 GDP down to one and a half percent. Okay. So at the end the of the Atlanta day, Fed's all over the map though. Well, I mean, be but clear. That's fine. I mean, but, 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 not- but, but I think it's important to recognize the fact, Tim, that when did the government shutdown happen? December 22nd, with about a, a, a week left in December. When did the market really fall out of bed? December 17th to 19th in that time period. So you can call it whatever you want, but when the data, you know, we hear people say this all the time, trade the market that's in front of you, you know, that data is pretty impactful. And when you think about that, this shutdown went into January. I don't know why you expect January data to be much better. Well, I think, though, that the retail stocks have already talked about week December, right? So this isn't new news. This is the, that came off the presses late, right? We get it. I think it's been fully digested in a lot of names. They've reported December numbers. A lot of times they're bad. I think there's some other, you know, idiosyncratic things that are weighing on Amazon. The divorce, not, you know, that's something. People are concerned. All right, half of the Bezos shares, we don't know what's going to happen with them. I think that weighs on it a little bit. But stepping back further, I mean, the chart on this, it's extraordinary. The run that it's had to take a breather for a couple of quarters, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see it just stagnate here for a while regardless of whether the consumer is fine or not just because the stock's so expensive. So, so yeah, to be clear, the retail sales number this morning, let's to remind everyone who didn't see that, that print at 8.30 was terrible. That was an awful number, and it was awful across the board, especially in the things that should be um, the part of the economy that should have gotten a boost from the tax cuts, that should have gotten a boost from wage gains, et cetera. Very poor. Amazon, in terms of its positioning against the market, Amazon's outperformed the S&P by Four percent since the market bottomed on December on December 24th. So it's hardly that Amazon is not pulling its weight in the new year. I think the reality is, Dan, you're bringing up longer-term you know, observations about the economy. It's difficult to argue that the data points aren't getting significantly worse. The U.S. consumer is also. It's difficult to argue that they're not the most important dynamic in the global economy right now. So are we worried? Well, Amazon, as a tell right now, Amazon is about a valuation and comps that are very difficult to reach, and that's the reason why I think the stock struggles. I think. 
the question also whether or not we look through the data and plenty of economists, economists, real economists also said to look through the data. There are some questions about the quality of the collection because of the government shutdown. There's a question about the, the mentality of the consumer just because of that stock market sell off. And so there are plenty of reasons to maybe say December didn't necessarily represent the true health of the consumer, even if they pulled back Spending. Yeah, and that's where I would go. I would go okay. in terms of what led up to that print. What led up to that print was obviously all of October, all of November when the market was going sideways to pretty significantly lower. And my thesis all along to broaden it out has been the U.S. economy 73% driven by the consumer. The consumer spends money when they feel good about things. They feel good about things when the market is going higher. When the market takes a step back is when people take a step back. And you saw that 100% with certainty over the last couple of months. Now, the good news, I guess, is the market's come ripping back some 15% from that December 24th low. And maybe that's enough to get people spending again. I don't know. We'll see it, obviously, in the next round of data. But as long as the market holds in there, I believe you'll see consumer confidence come back as well. I mean, it will be interesting to see if the consumer responds that quickly also to the upside that we've seen in the market off the December 24th lows versus to the downside, which we I, saw I in these I would be very sales. surprised if you were to see the consumer come back so quickly because when you think about the wealth effect that's been created by the stock market over the last few years, we've all of a sudden hit a very volatile patch, and the data is going to continue to kind of move markets. And we also know that monetary policy is also being affected by markets. So that should be the sort of thing that keeps the consumer at bay, in my opinion, especially as we head into a season weaker consumer period after what should be a very Dan, strong period Dan, in the Q4. And, and I, I, I don't disagree or I agree with a lot of your premise. Uh, we may be at peak labor. Um, we may be at, at least in the short term, peak, peak labor in terms of employment and wage gains. Wait, yes. Okay. Um, in terms of in terms of the absolute level of jobs and, and where we are in terms of the unemployment rate, um, we, we certainly may be at peak consumer confidence. So the most important thing to me is the delta from that. And, you know, so in absolute terms, though, um, we're still in a very solid place for this economy. I realize markets tend to price this in ahead of the game. Um, but to me, uh, the choppiness of both that retail sales number and the reality that markets have gone through volatility, it's been driven as much by the Fed as anything else, and the Fed is on the sidelines. It's hard for me to see that this stuff is going to go straight downhill in this country. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Also, though, just remember, January, the market was back a lot, but the shutdown was really sort of taking hold, right? So uh, for most of January, it was there was a shutdown. So that means the sales so that data means, could be depressed again. In yes, January. but in a, but in a one-off sort of way. I'm, so what I'm saying is we don't get true data until we're through seeing that data from the shutdown from the market down okay. then up. But, but you said that we got some good reads about uh, U.S. consumer through retail earnings. We haven't gotten the bulk of them. And then you have to think back to mid-November. This is before we got to Black Friday, that sort of thing. You know, we saw horrible numbers at a Target. We saw bad numbers at a Walmart. We saw bad numbers out of Home Depot and or bad relative to expectations. So that was already working itself in November and December. Look at what we just saw out of Macy's in the last month. JWM, Nordstrom's. I mean, the department right. stores are a disaster. Right. And, and I, I think traded fact, down on that news already, I, I, right? I, 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 Literally reported December numbers for me. Literally told you December was bad. So that right. it came so out today. So one of the issues, though, we've talked about for years as these department stores have had a leg lower after a leg lower is that competing with Amazon, all the costs associated with going into this omni-channel strategy to compete was really going to be hard. But ultimately, they were going to get the leverage sooner or later. What happened to Amazon in the last month is that their costs are going up as their revenue is ex uh, decelerating. And now they actually have to grow into this omni-channel strategy because they've bought Whole Foods. They're going into... Well, Amazon's never been more also. profitable. 
We're, we're, I thought we were complaining about the top line, not the bottom well, line. Hold on a second. They had a record quarter. So the, the, the fine record quarter decelerating. The last two years, sales have grown 31 percent. They're expected to grow 18 percent over the next two You're years. Talking about at the top a time, line now. At a time when expenses are going up, right? And so competition is going to get fiercer for them. So I'm, I'm just saying that's why the stock is stalled. That's why it's stalled. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. To me. Well. Yeah, look, I don't have an argument against that the Amazon's valuation is difficult, that it's not the same operating environment that it was a year ago. My, my pushback is simply to say, and I think Karen is saying this, um, a lot of stuff has been priced into these stories. The department stores have secular issues unique to what they do. And to read that across the entire consumer, I, I don't know that that's also fair. I guess has the market priced in, though, this dramatic slowdown, if you extrapolated the slowdown, even a degree of what we saw in December to January and February, because the uncertainties we face right now, which will contaminate, theoretically, this data coming, have we priced that in yet? Has the stock market priced that in? Right. You know what? I, I don't think it has, quite frankly. Given the move we've seen from December 24th to where we are today, no. And I'll say this. For the last, until yesterday and today, if you look at the last 20 or so trading days, last hour of the day, the market's been basically rallying almost every single day. Yesterday, the market sold off on the last hour of the day, and you saw, obviously, what happened in the last hour of the day today. It's not a big deal for two days, but it's absolutely something but what does to watch. that mean? Sorry. I think that maybe the market has changed once again. Maybe went from 20 days of basically straight up every day, accelerate into the close, to now we're seeing closes where the market fades. We haven't seen that in a long time. Let me just add one yeah, thing real one quick. Thing. I did sell some Foot Locker calls today. It's had a oh. huge run. It's back to a multiple that hasn't been at for a while. And I think a lot of good news is priced in there. Our next guest says the rally is showing signs of slowing, but he has two consumer stocks that could continue to break out. Let's go off the charts to Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Hey, Todd. Hey, what Melissa. are you looking at? How you doing? Uh, let's take a look at the S&P 500. First thing I'm going to tell you is we are coming up in resistance. I'm net long in both of the accounts that I trade. I'm going to be looking to lighten up for four reasons. Number one on this S&P daily is we have the 200-day moving average, and that's just defined this market for a long period of time. That's number one. The second reason is we have a kind of a triple top up here between 2800, 2820, and the SPX. Here we go for a fourth time. Um, the third reason is some of that Fibonacci retracement. If you look at basically the two-thirds to three-quarters retracement, it comes in right in this zone. The fourth reason is we're right at a round number 2,800. There's so much highly visible kind of cafeteria technicals here. I'm kind of worried it's going to be like uh, St. Patrick's Day and New Year's, kind of amateur hour. Everyone who's ever read a, a technical book is going to be coming out of the woodwork here. I think it's going to be dangerous. I think it's going to be very choppy. I'm going to be exiting longs and, and starting to nibble on the short side. But again, I think it's going to be treacherous in here because there's so much that we can all see between 2,800 and 2,860. So that being said, I will hold some, some stocks. Uh, I hold a full position in Nike. I just love the look of this. Great chart, well above the 200-day moving average where we just showed the S&P is struggling at that 200-day. We've got a beautiful breakout here, 85, 90 bucks. I continue to hold this, a nice yield on Nike. I will look to add in the event that I'm wrong, I'm at 2,800 to 2,850 calling resistance in Nike. Another full-size holding that I have in the portfolio that I actually like to get a little bit more overweight is Starbucks. You could easily say, well, Todd, we've had a huge run here. We're trying to break out here. Starbucks has come too far too fast. However, this is the daily chart. Let's go back to the weekly and just look at this four-year base that Starbucks just broke from. We came all the way from the 2008 low. We just went into massive consolidation. 2015, here we are, 19. 
finally breaking out. So when you say, well, Todd, that daily chart has gone too far too fast, I don't know, and you put it in, the, in that context. So heading back to the daily chart, again, we have a nice breakout happening in Starbucks with confirmation that the market wants to go higher. I will look to add more Starbucks as well. Did you say uh, 2800 was the danger zone, Todd? 2800 to 2850 is a combination of those four things. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge yeah. zone, a lot of things in there. Two things from a market internals. You've got volume decreasing, but we've got really strong breadth. A lot of people were complaining about advanced decliners not participating on the rally up before that September high. We have really strong advanced decline. This is a broad-based rally here with the exception of tech. Technology is starting to show a little bit more hesitant just over the last week. Apple in particular is one that I'm going to be looking to lighten up. All right, Todd, thank you. Todd Gordon of Trading Analysis. Dot com. Put some Kenny Loggins danger zone, right? I mean, it would well, be a good time thinking, to go top gun yeah, on this. On behalf of you guys who seem to <laughs> quote that Here often. we go. Uh, Guy? Anything you want to add? I, listen, you know my view on Top Gun. I mean, it's one of the top five movies of all time, without question. Tim, of course, would be the Tom Cruise character. Why? And you would be? Come on. I'd probably be like a goose. 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 Well, like yeah. Kip Rosovich, though, was very good in that movie. Too close for, for messages to switch into guns. All right, so what's yeah. on your mind? Yeah. Uh, we're going to move yeah. on. We're going yeah, to so. go back above the hard deck here for a second. Here, here's one area that, that I, I mean, if you're just tuning in right now, you're not going to be surprised by this. But, you know, the bank stocks. I mean, like, so if you're waiting for something to happen, waiting for to S&P to get back to 2800, the underperformance in the last couple weeks of the major banks is a real problem. And, and as long as I've been doing this, I've never seen a market it made a substantial move back to a prior high without the participation of the banks. I, I would go back below the hard deck and talk about Starbucks and Nike, the two names Todd brought up. Those are both names I'm long. They're both names that are trading in multiples that are very different. They're both companies that are extremely levered to China or perception of China, and yet they seem to be going to fresh all-time highs. So you tell me. Um, I would say, first of all, U.S. athletic uh, or footwear has been very impervious to what's been going on. There's no, there's no nationalism in China against Nike. Um, and Starbucks, who at one point really was talking about about China being the land of, you know, their, their new consumer is doing just fine without it. So, again, I think the companies that are executing are the ones that are going to continue to execute. He likes both, so would you rather? And oh. would you rather? Starbucks, I'll tell you why. $65, it ran up against it in 2016. It was the top of at least three times. Now, at least, it gives you something to trade against. I think that's Todd's point. I think you long Starbucks against a 65 stop on the downside. All right, coming up, chip stock NVIDIA ripping after reporting earnings. This stock, remember, got hammered after a major warning last month. Is the worst behind it? Plus, hot stock canopy growth expected to report earnings any moment. We will bring you all the headlines as they break. And later, Wall Street is swooning over a handful of beaten down Dow stocks. But are they worth your love? The traders will weigh in. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of CBS falling after reporting earnings. Let's get to Julia Borson in Los Angeles with more on the story. Hey, Julia. Melissa, CBS shares are lower after missing expectations on the top and bottom line. But acting CEO Joe Ainello is focusing the earnings call, which is going on right now, on CBS's direct-to-consumer streaming business. The heart of this plan has always been the same creating and distributing premium content with, with mass appeal on a global scale. What's changing is the way people engage with that content, and it's giving us an opportunity for a better business model. This is why a few years ago we began pivoting to direct-to-consumer. 
INL announcing that CBS has hit 8 million streaming subscribers for a combination of CBS All Access and Showtime. He's upping the projections for subscribers by 2022 to 25 million. That's 9 million more than previous projections. He says these relationships are more valuable than traditional TV viewers. Owning the customer relationship is critical, and we are just beginning to achieve what's possible here. And as we do, it's enhancing the lifetime value of each subscriber who signs up for our services and allowing us for greater efficiency in reacquiring customers who have paused their subscriptions. The company is saying the Super Bowl set new records for CBS All Access in terms of new subscribers and time spent. As for tech companies starting to bid for NFL rights, Ionello is saying they think the NFL will want to reach the, the broad reach that CBS offers, saying he's optimistic they'll be able to renew that deal. Now, CBS's CFO just said that 2019 is pacing to be a record year for advertising with increasing demand in the scatter market. Those are the last-minute purchases. And, Melissa, they just started talking about the opportunity in gambling um, on sports. So we are going to pop back on the call and see what else they say. All right, see if they you. say anything about a permanent CEO. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson <laughs> in Los Angeles with uh, CBS News. Karen, what do you ta- well, what's your take on the question? I'm long CBS, so it's a little bit disappointing. But I think for this company, it's not about this quarter. There's obviously some big macro issues that need to be resolved here. So, number one, who is the CEO going to be? We don't know. I don't know how long it'll take. Uh, I'm sure they're working very hard on it. And then the other, obviously, is are they going to merge with Viacom or potentially somebody else? I think that is sort of a put underneath the stock. So I'm a little disappointed in these earnings. It's ticked up a little bit on this gambling, talking about closely looking at gambling. Remember Disney said they absolutely wouldn't look at gambling. That's sort of interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I'd probably buy more if it trades badly tomorrow. Um, I still think that it's not about this quarter. It's here's about a, these other issues. Here's a question. What if they uh, name a new CEO? Does, does the stock sell off on the notion that naming a new CEO means that it's not likely in play still that's that's so a, a new so ceo would be negative because they're no longer why would you take a why job you, if you know that you're the company because gonna you be may sold. you may run the combined entity right yeah, it's that, unclear yeah, there's true. been, there's been questions Maybe. about who they bring whether viacom yes. management right. stays in place so i don't know look stock, the stock was a 41 and a half 42 stock right before the end of the year mid-december traded up to 50 almost in a straight line so you can understand why they're selling the stock off on the back of this quarter, EPS miss, revenue miss. But in terms of valuation, again, eight times forward earnings with probably, I don't know, 10 and a half, 11 percent EPS growth. You have to ask yourself, is it that damage to franchise where you wouldn't look at it? I don't know how much worse it's going to get, quite frankly. I think you buy the weakness. All right. Let's get a check on uh, our other earnings movers. NVIDIA ripping while applied materials dips. We'll bring you the latest on those stocks in just a few minutes. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Wall Street is crushing on a handful of beaten down Dow stocks. But are they the right match for your portfolio? The traders will weigh in. Plus, legendary investor Danny Moses has a message for all you pot haters out there. He'll be here to explain why. Much more Fast Money right after this break. John Paul somebody or other. somebody 
Welcome back to Fast Money. It is Valentine's Day and love is in the air as Wall Street uh, analysts are crushing on some big name stocks. Dom, she joins us from the newsroom to explain. Dom. That's right, Melissa. Love is in the air, and analysts love these stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Okay, maybe love isn't the right word for it. I'm not sure what is, but here's what we've got. These Dow stocks have some of the highest upside potential if analysts who cover them have their story right and shares reach those target prices. For example, if shares of chemical company Dow DuPont end up hitting its average analyst target price, those shares could mean around 26% upside from current prices. Or investment banking giant Goldman Sachs that has got a target price that's around 18% higher than shares are currently trading. Tech giant Microsoft also in that same upside ballpark with implied upside of 18%. Health insurer United Health Group has a target that's 16% higher than now. And then there's integrated oil and gas giant Chevron, which could rise by 14% if analysts get their target price action right in the coming months. Now, in fairness, some of these names have higher potential upside because they've underperformed and target prices haven't yet been revised if they ever do get revised. But Melissa, if these analysts are playing the role of Cupid and are trying to get investors to fall in love with certain companies, these could be among the love connections. And that's a big if. Back over to you, Melissa. Happy Valentine's Day, Dom. Thank you. So we know Wall Street analysts love these stocks, but do our traders. Let's ask in a brand new game They're what we're unveiling today on Valentine's Day. It is called Love It or Loathe It. Huh. <laughs> Guy, we kick it off with you and the most loved Dow stock, Dow DuPont. Love it or loathe so it? I, I, I figured loathe must be not like because it's the opposite. Loathe means hate. Appreciate the heads up. So in well, this case, Dow DuPont. Because we love you. I loathe Dow DuPont. And wow. you said, wait a second. That is a great I love the sound effect. I mean, if you look at the fourth quarter, they report. So I love it. It's fantastic. I mean, I guess loathe it again. Go for the triple. They reported a pretty miserable fourth quarter. They guided lower for the first quarter. Then JP Morgan comes out, downgrades the stocks, lowers their price target, as does Cowan. You know, this is a 10-year economic recovery. you got to wonder where we are in the cycle. What does that mean for cyclical names like this? People will point to valuation. I'll say numbers probably have to come down. Loathe it. All right. Next up, Goldman Sachs, another Dow darling. Karen, do you love it or loathe it? I hate that I love it. I know it's very unpopular. It's a bad boy to love, I guess, but I'm going to oh, go with that I do. I okay, that. Wow. apparently. You know, I just still think it's a premier franchise. I mean, you know, Guy and I will debate about that in the green room. I think that the valuation reflects a lot of negative. Um, you know, I think that also we saw some bad things happen in the fourth quarter for a lot of these names that will reverse in the first quarter, particularly debt markets. Um, so I just think at this valuation, you know, how can you not love it? Easily. I, I mean, just the, 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 the relative underperformance and all the stuff just swirling around the story in particular, oh. I just think the this thing here. <laughs> I think we should just put that on the loop. I mean, it's just, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say, that we could just run that for Dan at all times. Do you love yeah. it or loathe it? I, I loathe it as well, and I, I, I loathe it. I loathe it. Right. Come on. I loathe oh, it. Oh, wow. Thank you. I mean, what's the guy hard to, to do to loathe it's something? It's hard to get. Look, on, on a relative basis within the sector, I, I don't love it. Um, and I think, you know, banks are, uh, I'm not going to change my tune. I think banks are cheap here. But, but if I'm going to be playing, I want money center banks. I don't want investment banks. And I think there's enough change at the top there that there's still some uncertainty about where their business is going. All right. Next up, the M in MAGA. That would be Microsoft. Oh, ooh, would, Dan, do you love it or loathe it? You know, Mel, that's really catching on. 
It really yeah. is. Um, I kind of love it here, and I'll tell you why. I mean, uh, here's the thing. You know, this is one of the largest, if not the largest, market cap company in the world right now. And here's a company that's expected to grow earnings and sales this fiscal year, double digits. It does trade at a premium to many of its tech peers or mega cap tech peers and the market. Uh, but it would take something very, very stock specific for this thing to underperform the market. So as relative to the market, I think this is a place to hide out in tech right now because they are executing on many, many things that they can control. And the stuff they can't, I'm telling you, is going to hit a lot of their other competitors far worse. So to me, I kind of love it here. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm with. I don't know how much MAGA is catching on. I mean, I mean, it might be catching on right there in Dan's little, <laughs> like you in know, this sphere. Yeah. This sphere. Yeah. But he's right. I mean, 21 times, 21 and a half times foreign earnings probably is expensive. But you know what? They've become in a lot of ways a growth stock, so you can pay for that valuation. I do think it continues to grind higher here. All right, United Health, Tim. I tell you what. Love I love this love one. I, and for a name that at least at the time is looking like it's been struggling, if you look at the stock technically um, at around 18 times forward, this is not as expensive once as it was. They just affirmed in fourth quarter their 2019. The numbers were a little weaker on the margin. Um, but to me, this is a case where a company that seems to be right in the middle of the healthcare change that doesn't ever seem to take them down and they're best in breed. They're giving capital back to shareholders. Um, that's what I want to see. I kind of love it. I mean, in the space I, I own Anthem, it. this one is, you know, a little more expensive. I love the Opta business. There's a lot to like here. I'm like or love? Love. Love. Yeah, yeah. Let me give a kiss to kiss. it. I'll give another kiss. kiss. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, one more. We have time for one more. Like Chevron. It. Chevron. That's Karen's. Love it or loathe it. I kind of loathe it. More. It's much more <laughs> of a, of a uh, you know, a secular. I, I'm not really going to expose the energy space. So for that reason, I don't date energy stocks, I guess. I loathe it. I'll, okay. I'll just take the other side, just to take this side. I, I, I love more Exxon Mobil and ConocoPhillips, but I'll throw a love in here because you throw all three of them so and you have a little like, bit of a trifecta. Maybe, maybe you I, like. I tell you, I'll, I'll love this one with authority. With a lot of emotion, I'm going to love this one because I think it's the best integrated of all that space at a time when I think the entire space is overrated. So energy, energy shares, as we pointed out, have been shorted to beat the band, and I think Chevron is running that ship as efficiently as any. You know how you have chips and salsa just to have the salsa or whatever? It's like a vehicle what, for the salsa. This is a vehicle for this graphic. For the loathing. The loathing and the loving. Nice, yeah. nice job. Nice job. Chris. All right. Uh, well done. Chips for the Coming salsa. up, speaking of chips, two chip stocks on the move. NVIDIA <laughs> ripping while applied materials dipping. We will bring you the latest on those earnings. Plus, the big, long, legendary investor Danny Moses calling cannabis the investment opportunity of a lifetime. He'll be here to tell us why. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks, canopy growth. Uh, expect to report earnings later tonight. Shares are up more than 70% this year. So what should investors be watching out for? Tim is reading the canopy tea leaves, canopy the, weed leaves. The, the canopy leaves. And, and look, the, the bottom line is if you're focusing just on Canada and the valuation in canopy growth, you're, you're, you're wasting your time because there's, there's no sense. The market is probably $6.5 billion. It's a global company. I want to see where their revenues are, but it's still mostly a Canadian revenue story. But if you look at their peers, if you look at what's happened with, with Aurora or Afria or some of the other big boys, um, I want to see 
I want to, excuse me, I want to see revenue grow somewhere between 80 and 250%. I want to see these guys north of 200% because they need to show that kind of growth. In terms of what's going on with production, again, uh, it's on some level just a Canadian story there on the production ramp, but I want to see how they continue to grow because this has been sold as a growth stock. This is a time to see that hockey stick in both production and in revenues. But finally, I think the most important thing for investors right now is as it relates to their strategy, their strategy in the U.S. We heard a couple weeks ago about how they're going to do an industrial hemp processing park in New York State. We know that they bought a, a essentially a science play in the hemp space in, in Ibu in Colorado you know, last year. Um, this company has global aspirations. They have a partner who is one of the savviest global, you know, certainly big alcohol companies. That's the story here. And the story is not how do I try to argue that the growth is going to match the valuation this last quarter. And again, it's Q3 fiscal for them. Um, it's really about the big picture for canopy growth. And it's had a massive run, so clearly there could be some disappointment here. You're talking about the, the CBD plays and, and now the farm bill passed. That's all legal. But is there any way currently that a canopy growth, for instance, could um, tap into buy a multi-state operator, let's say, in the United States and expand here? Sure. I mean, a- absolutely. I-, I think the question is, why do they, you know, outside of buying straight into licenses, there certainly would be an argument they'd be getting, uh, they would be getting assets. I don't think that the combination of both Canopy uh, and Constellation feels the need that they need to go buy a U.S. multi-state. I think they think they're going to be multi-state. And I think hemp, by the way, gives them a footprint to kind of begin working on that right now because that's fully federal. It gives them the ability to be anywhere they want to be. Right. And then they can back into the rest of just water, I promise. Good thing the cap's um, on. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> could have been disaster. Uh, with Reefer Madness sweeping the nation, our next guest is a legendary investor who says the cannabis craze is just getting started. Now, you may know Danny Moses of the big short fame. He was one of the investors who shorted subprime before the financial crisis a decade ago. Now he's calling the cannabis industry the big long. He joins us now. Danny, why is this such a tremendous opportunity? And when you say it's the big long, do you think it's going to be a more profitable opportunity for you than betting against subprime was? Well, I think shorts can only go to zero, longs can go to infinity, so that's just the first category. The second is that I've never seen a sector have the political tailwinds, the economic tailwinds, and the wellness tailwinds that this sector potentially has. And the really, the really interesting thing about the U.S. companies, the multi-state operators Tim was just talking about, is there's no debt. So the big short was full of over-levered, under-regulated businesses. These are over-regulated and under-levered businesses. So it's really tremendous. So when people look at valuations, I think you have to look at each company. And there's many states in the U.S. that are bigger than Canada alone. So I think people's first taste or, you know, iteration on the exchanges here on NASDAQ and NYSE have been with the names in Canada. That's the way they think that you play it. But there's many other ways to express the trade. And just to be clear for people at home, I mean, they don't have debt because they can't have debt. There's no bank that will, that will lend to them currently. But when and if that changes through the States Act or the SAFE Act, what happens at that point? How do you start evaluating multi-state operators and what their strategy should be to expand? So right now, if you look at the names, they're doing private small debt transaction converts. They're really giving up way too much equity, more than they would ever want to. So the SAFE Act, which actually came out of the House subcommittee yesterday, um, would actually have the provisions in it that would just give the green light to allow banks to start lending. And there's two things banks can do. Banks can service these clients, obviously, and then everything from payroll to keeping their cash somewhere, using Visa cards maybe or MasterCard would be great. And then also the ability to issue debt. And I think we've already seen the big Wall Street banks be advisors to several companies, Constellation, Deal, obviously, Scott's Miracle Grow, and they're very involved in the M&A aspect of it. And I think they're looking for an excuse to come into the space. And if you were to get debt to come in, 
the cost of capital would go down dramatically for these companies. And so I think that's a really interesting play that people aren't really focusing on right now. And Danny, so in that regard, so valuations are, are going to come down with it. Um, Ultimately, who benefits the most from debt coming into the industry? Or more importantly, if you think that's where we're getting to, and I agree with you and we're working on stuff together, you have a dynamic here where there's certain sectors that will outperform. Where do you want to be right now for this phase of development? I think you want to be in the U.S. multi-state operators right now. Um, you know, there's several names that are out there that are in six states, nine states, 12 states expanding. The biggest problem has been it's a chicken and egg. Because, because the investors know they have to issue equity, many of these companies, it, they won't buy the equities because they realize look at an opportunity to buy them cheaper. So I think if you can find the companies with, with, the best a, with the best assets out there and look what the opportunity set would be to issue debt instead of equity for growth, I think it's tremendous. So the enterprise values are underestimated dramatically. We were just showing some of your picks and not a Canadian operator was up there. Correct. Yeah. I just think they're expensive. Mm-hmm. I'm not short them. They're difficult to short anyway. Um, but I think the U.S. names are much cheaper on a relative basis. So let me ask something. I would, there's so much debt money looking to be placed in all kinds of things. Why are they not in here? Is, the, is well, there, there is, a lot of money are, available to, private, to stop that up? There are, so, yeah, no, Tim knows there's private debt out there. But the terms that they're getting, it's great right now if you're a, if you want to be the one to lend money. You can get warrant coverage. You get extra stock. You get options. And you're talking 15, 17 percent. Uh, that's just the, the state rate. The cost of capital is much higher, above 20. I think that the Goldman's and Morgan Stanley's of the world are going to be looking for an excuse to do it once they see the green light to do it. And then I think you'll have an institutionalized debt market for this stuff, and you'll have a wave of high-yield issuance with real assets. And I think that will be, from a valuation perspective, a very attractive asset class. Danny, are you seeing uh, an ecosystem develop around this in the background, waiting for the regulation? You know, there's like ease, you know, the Uber Eats of delivery out in California. Are you seeing like some really interesting tech plays on this right now? Yeah, there are so many. There's so many different facets of the trade. There's tech companies, delivery, just like you mentioned. There are, you know, Uber apps basically for trimmers to go to a field and, and, and trim. There are so many different aspects. There's guys that came from TrueCar. Um, that are looking to um, basically apply that type of technology because you can't do traditional advertising, obviously, in the sector. You can't go on Google. You can't do those things. So there's a lot of workarounds, but a lot of smart Silicon Valley people are entering this trade now, and it's really going to make it much more efficient. So it's a real greenfield right now. My quick question would be a lot of great news. I mean, we talk about all the good things. Are there any bad things that could happen on a political front, regulation front, or is that just... A foregone conclusion that's just going to get pushed oh, forward. We had an analyst yesterday from Raymond James saying this is tulip mania 2.0 or 3. Point, whatever <clears throat> version right. of mania that you want to put on that. Right. Uh, that, I don't agree with that, per se, because I think this is a much more secular trade than it is uh, cyclical. Uh, guy, to answer your question, there are risks. And every time I'm investing or looking at these companies, I have to remember that it's federally illegal still. Um, it's not so much I worry about my reputation as much as what could go wrong with the company. So corporate governance, we've seen a few companies go through some issues with that. And obviously the market's going to punish you. If you're a cannabis company and you do something improper in your corporate governance, you're going to get hammered and, and you should because it's hard enough to find the right companies in this space without having to worry that things are not running well at the top. So, Last quick question of your entire portfolio. Can you give us a sense of what percent is invested in stocks, the trade versus private equity investments, VC, et cetera? So it's probably 60 to 70 percent private equity. Um, Merida Capital is where I have a lot of my investments in that. And in the public markets, using that knowledge from the private markets and applying that to the public, there's some great opportunities out there, I think. But uh, it's nice to be in the private markets and have, and have much longer duration and not have to worry about what the stocks do every day. But uh, I think this is going to be 
a very great opportunity on the long side, and I think uh, really excited to see how it develops. Well, Danny, we hope you'll come back. I'd be happy to. Thank Danny you for having Moses. me. Danny Moses, what's your take? No, some of the volatility is sort of almost being taken out again. I mean, cannabis growth is back to the levels we saw a few months ago. GW Farmer, very, very quietly, by the way, has gone up about 52% over the last month, month and a half. The stories are real. There's no question about it. And it's just a question of when... Uh, market participants start to really embrace it. And I think that's sooner rather than later. I think what you're going to see very quickly in the public markets, first of all, you're going to see there's a wall of money that's chasing hemp. There's a bunch of deals that are coming, and I think those will be interesting ways for the public markets to play. But as Danny pointed out, um, look at the ancillary, look at you know, B2B, look at procurement, look at logistics. Packaging. I mean, these are ways, it, it, packaging, you know, we, we both sit on the board of a company that does a lot of packaging. So that, the bottom line here is uh, look beyond cultivation. You know, look beyond just growing the plant. As Danny pointed out, you've got the most sophisticated people in the software world and whatnot coming here, setting up right next side, and it's a very sophisticated consumer product story, and that's Dan, where it's going. Dan was talking about the deliveries, and I have a question that maybe you guys, one of you guys can answer, and that is, if you're delivering an illegal substance within a state that is medical, it's, that's perfectly, that's fine. What? No, not you. <laughs> okay. Tim, Tim and Dan. Could that company go public? That company could go public, correct? If, it, if it's legal within that state. Yeah. But again, where could it go public? And, and the issues we right. have are, you know, is the NASDAQ ready to do that? Is the New York Stock Exchange ready to do that? You've seen a lot of these companies going to Canada. And, and these, you know, these RTOs um, have been good and bad for the industry, frankly. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is a lot of people have invested in companies that are just another big listing away from seeing that share price go down 30% because that's the nature of the capital structure. Yeah, I hear Ease works very good in California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from friends. Coming up, take a look at shares of NVIDIA soaring after reporting earnings. This stock got hit hard after a big warning last month, but is the worst behind it now? Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on what the s- smart money is doing with their portfolios. <laughs> Leslie Pickers in the newsroom with the very latest. Hey, Leslie. I like those air quotes, Melissa. These moves are from the so-called 13F filings, which show how funds positioned their long equity holdings at the end of the fourth quarter. And we just learned the size of Pershing Square's stake in Hilton, about 10.95 million shares worth, about $800 million, at least at the end of the quarter. The firm also increased stakes in ADP, Lowe's, and United Technologies, but I'm told that's a result of converting some of their derivative, derivative exposure into direct ownership. Overall, fund managers were quite bearish on financials during the fourth quarter. Keith Meister's Corvex Dissolving Bank of America, Stan Druckenmiller's Duquesne, no longer owns Bank of America or Citi. Lee Cooperman at Omega pared back his stake in Citi. Tiger Management and Tiger Global selling some of their stakes in the private equity firm Apollo Global. Now, Berkshire Hathaway sold some of its stake in Wells Fargo, but largely bucked this trend, adding to positions in J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, as well as U.S. Bancorp, Bank of New York Mellon, and PNC Financial. Now, it's important to note these positions are as of December 31st and may have changed in the six weeks since, Melissa. All right. Leslie, thank you. Mm-hmm. Leslie Picker, Karen, what catches your eye? Thank you. Well, anything that agrees with me usually catches my <laughs> eye, right? So I look at uh, Buffett, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, I'm along with those, Long City Bank. 
Uh, I still like him here. Dan's going to, I know, take the other side, the loathe. But so Mel was doing the air quotes. She listed a lot of really smart investors who are actually peeling out of bank stocks. And bank stocks were supposed to be the big beneficiaries of synchronized global growth, of deregulation, of tax cuts, right, headed into 2018. They underperformed all last year, and they act pretty deadly now. So to me, I think it's really interesting that the smart money is peeling out. I'd like to see the smart money was net sellers in total. They felt they needed yeah, but- to be because of withdrawals or whatever market was down and they just needed to shrink. I don't know. The interesting part about that trade, though, that really went on in 2017. Let's be clear. It wasn't a 2018 trade. Banks underperformed all year. Um, The optimism was that they were going to continue to perform in 2018. So simply because I don't really care about yesterday, I care about tomorrow. Citibank was down almost 35 percent in the fourth quarter to those lows. That shows the kind of liquidation we're talking about. I think there was undue pressure from some very crowded trades, and that's, that's, that's interesting to look at that after that. I'd rather buy someone else's problem than have it be my problem. I care more. That's fantastic. I care more about tomorrow than is that, or I don't yeah. care about yesterday. I care about tomorrow. I like that. Citibank, <laughs> listen, I understand that, that Citibank has rallied from 50 to 65. I get it. I understand where it came from. But if you look, go back at least a year, year and a half to Dan's point, they haven't traded particularly well. The bounces have been fantastic, but the trajectory is still lower. I'm with Dan. I think banks go lower here. All right. Let's stick with the financial space here. PayPal share sitting near an all-time high, up 13% this year. And options traders are piling into the stock ahead of earnings later this month. Mike Coe's in San Francisco breaking down the options action in a vest. Hey, Mike. (laughs) Yes, in the vest today. So, yeah, it was interesting. PayPal saw well over two times call versus put volume today. The most active options were the March 1st weekly 100 strike options. That included a purchase of about 2,000 of those calls, paying about 30 cents. So a buyer of that call is expecting PayPal to be above that $100 strike price by two weeks from tomorrow. And of course, that would mean an increase of about six and a quarter percent just to break even, but presumably they're looking for a move larger than that by the time these things expire. What's your position on PayPal? I'll tell you this. I mean, stocks that go to 95 usually go to 100. And so when you think about the momentum of a breakout like this, um, you know, I, I think you're, you're throwing a dart against the wall to see if it's going to be by March 1st. But ultimately, what does that mean? Stocks that go to, if you just look over time, stocks that go to 9,500, most of the time they go to 100. So the stock is actually pulled back after their earnings. It just made a new high now, and it's breaking out. You said the exact same thing that you said when I asked you. I'm just telling you. (laughs) That's exactly what he meant. Sorry. Any time it gets to 100, it had to be at 95. All right. All right. As we chew on this. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe in San Francisco. Big away tomorrow. Guys, Uh, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 5 30 p.m. Eastern time. Guy's going to make a cameo. Sure. So you want to check it out. Uh, meantime, look at shares of NVIDIA soaring after reporting earnings. We will hear from the C-suite in just a few minutes. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on NVIDIA. That stock ripping higher in the after-hour session. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Uh, the conference call is underway. Hey, Josh. Yeah, Melissa, we're hearing from a CFO, Colette Cress, and she's talking about this Q4 revenue drop that we saw, um, driven mostly by the drop in gaming. You saw gaming revenue, $954 million. It was down 45%. Among the reasons there, they talked again about this crypto hangover they saw. But exiting Q1, Colette Cress saying they expect channel inventories to be at normal levels. Yes, she says it was a challenging quarter in the gaming business, but they will look forward, she says, to putting the channel inventory correction behind us. She actually talked about data center, too 
remember, um, they did mention again this issue that they, that they highlighted when they pre-announced in late January, that as the quarter progressed, that some customers uh, around the world, in their, in their words, became cautious due to rising economic uncertainty, and that so a number of deals didn't, uh, didn't close in January, but they noted they didn't expect that to continue. So take a listen to what they said. We believe the pause is temporary. The strength of NVIDIA's accelerated computing platform remains intact. We continue to lead the industry in performance for scientific computing and deep learning. Now, here's the key here, Mel, is, is the guidance, too, because when you look ahead to fiscal 2020, what NVIDIA execs are saying is they, they expect revenue to be flat to slightly down um, with growth in end markets. And as analysts note, that is solidly above consensus, which was down actually 7%. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh. Thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Dan, you're making a great point about positioning in this ahead of earnings. Yeah, we've seen it a few times, actually, in the last month or so. We saw it with Apple. They started the year out with that pre-announcement. By the time they got to reporting that quarter, the stock was already filled in that pre-announcement gap and then traded higher with more um, disclosure. We saw it with Activision uh, earlier this week, and now we see it here. So once sentiment gets so bad, um, the stock had already corrected. Sometimes there's nobody left to sell. So the question, it came from 280-whatever. Is that at all relevant in any way to thinking about it. Well, I, I think when you think about some of these gaps, when they actually guided down back in November, the stock gap down 20%, they guided down 20% in revenues. When they pre-announced just a, a few weeks ago, they guided revenues down for this quarter, down 20%. The stock initially went down 20%. You get all that, that sentiment is in there on that gap, and then people start thinking about, okay, what are they going to say next? You just heard their CFO. She's talking about all those headwinds in last year, how they may abate this year, and then you say to yourself, oh my goodness, this was one of the biggest market leaders in all of technology for five years, you know what I mean? I'm going to get back in down 40-some percent from the all-time highs just four months That's ago. That's the bet. The, the headwinds have abated because, quite frankly, January 28th is when they pre-announced the stock traded down to 138. We've, we're basically where we were pre-January 28th on the guide. They basically said exactly in terms of dollars and cents what they said when they pre-announced. The only thing that's changed is the outlook. So if you buy the outlook, you buy the stock. I don't buy the outlook. NVIDIA is a higher beta stock to the semis. It's underperformed the semis, and I think there's more risks here. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade on this Valentine's Day. Tim. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. And I think I love this stock. I know I love this stock earlier in the show. United Healthcare, best in breed, actually has pulled back a bit to an attractive level. Uh, yes, I mentioned it earlier. I sold some footlocker calls against the long. I think the calls are just too pumped up. The stock's been straight up. Take a little love off the table. Dan. Yeah, last summer, fall, I was starting to think MAGA was a problem for the market. Now I'm getting a bit more really constructive. Let's go the M in oh, MAGA at Microsoft. A matter of time. Like I'd be remiss if I didn't wish my wife a happy Valentine's Day. And my sure. daughter, Lily, her roommate, Kate, big watchers of the show, I'm buddy. Sure. Yeah, I CBS, I'm, I'm with K-Fine on this one. The stock's too cheap here. It's too damn cheap. All right. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.